This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look at a look back at Galaxy Quest to see if our nostalgia is war- is warranted. Oh, I got that word second try there. <laughs> Blooper uh, reel. <laughs> so first and foremost, it is another boys' night here uh, at the Retrograding Recording Studio because Sarah is unfortunately rehearsing uh, a community theater play that you guys should all go check out and enjoy. So she will not be joining us, but luckily it is Mark's pick this week as we take a look back at Galaxy Quest. So we're going to start off with a traditional 60-second synopsis. Mark, are you ready? You say luckily it's my pick because that means you don't have to do the synopsis? Yes, that and <laughs> I, w- I don't have to pick up the slack of Sarah, who honestly missed one of her episodes and made me do a 60-second synopsis <laughs> when she wasn't here. Uh, but let me get a timer for you here. She did want us to tell everyone that she liked the movie. Yes, her review out of 10 is that she liked it. <laughs> All right. That's uh, on a 1 to 10 scale, right? <laughs> All right. I got your... Timer ready, and in three, two, one, go. We meet our heroes at a convention celebrating an old show that they all starred in, but we quickly learn that all of not all of them are thrilled to be there. Jason is awakened the next morning by a group of aliens, but he mistakes to be part of his next gig, so he leaves with them. After waking up on a spaceship, he shrugs off the Thermians' enemy, Ceres, and fires at him, then asks to return home. The Thermians launch him through space, at which point he realizes it was all real and rushes to tell his crew. They all believe it was a drunken fantasy, but thinking they may not have another paid gig, the crew agrees to follow him. The actors are just adjusting to their new environment when Saris arrives, seeking revenge for Jason's previous attack. They barely escape being destroyed, but their power source is damaged, and they take a shuttle to a nearby planet to find a new one. When they return, they find Saris has taken over the ship, and they are to be executed. They escape by acting out a scene from the show, and with the help of a fan, manage to rescue the Thermians and regain control of the ship. Saris beams to their ship as his is blown up and begins murdering everyone on the bridge, but Jason activates the Omega-13 and foils Saris's attempt. They crash-land the ship at another convention and surprise the crowd. Their theatrics at the con rekindle their popularity and they reboot the old show. Well, nearly got there. You're about two seconds over, but very nice synopsis. It, it, it was close. It wasn't as much as good as it could have been if we had like two minutes to do it. <laughs> Yeah, we might try to extend it because I can't get it done in a minute. And to do it with a lot of times, you have to cut out the meat of the thing. Well, and lately I was thinking about this because lately we started changing our long format so that we don't go through every scene individually. Right. And some of the stuff that I cut out from the synopsis, we may not even get to during long form now. Yeah, and like the point of that synopsis is to give an idea, an overarching idea of the story before we get into the review to remind our listeners what these movies are about since they haven't seen them in quite a long time. So just having that 
oh yeah moment at the beginning before we get into talking about the things. But let's get into long form. So what did you notice this watching as an adult that you may not have seen as a child? Well... I never saw this as a child, so... Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> uh, it came out in 1999. Right. So uh, I so was... So that was kind of... I was in high childhood. school, so... <laughs> uh, and I was 11. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Mark, high school starts at like 15. It's, yes, true. Um, I... So I kind of feel like I remembered this movie really well. I mean, there are certain little details that you that you might have forgotten, but the overall plot throughout the thing, I think I remembered. I, I had forgotten some of the actors who were in it who are pretty big actors now. I mean, let's just go through the list, because this is the who's who of, like, sci-fi movies or, like, uh, people that went on to make a name for themselves in showbiz. Or at Uh, the time... So at the time, Tim Allen was certainly famous. Uh, But Sigourney Weaver had done her Alien films and almost didn't get this role because they thought that she was too good at (laughs) sci-fi and couldn't poke fun at sci-fi. But, like, Tony Shalhoub had not yet done Monk, I don't think. Uh, 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 what's his name? Sam Rockwell certainly hadn't really made a name for himself yet, and he is great in he this. Uh, Alan Rickman uh, was up and coming. He had not done, like, his Harry Potter stuff, which is his most famous stuff, Well, this I was think. this was after Die Hard, though, so I yes. mean, he had... Yes. <laughs> So Gruber had been done. Hans Gruber is his character in Die Hard. But even the uh, the character actors who play the Thermians, there's Enrico uh, Colantoni, uh, who is the dad from Veronica Mars, who I really enjoyed. Uh, there's J.P. Manu, who is the principal from Community. Uh, there's Rain Wilson, who has yeah. from The Office fame, and Justin Long, who is this was his first movie. Although Rain Wilson is really only in it for like thirty seconds, you barely ever see him. So. Well, sure, but he he does get some screen time. Yes. Although it's funny because acting as an alien, he looks almost the same as being Dwight Schrute. So <laughs> pretty much, I would say he's slightly happier as an True. alien. But yeah, if you're looking for a happy Dwight Schrute, maybe check out this film. The kid's name that you just said, Justin um, Long. Yes, that's the one because he was the nerdy sci-fi convention kid uh, that shows up at the convention at the beginning and gets blown off because uh, at first they were all excited. Well, well, Jason was excited to be there, played by Tim Allen, because he's the commander of the crew and he really loved these things and showboating for the fans. Um, he liked to take all the credit and not, not include any of the other people. But um, it, at this convention at the beginning, he overhears some teenagers making fun of the whole concept of the thing. And the teenagers point out the fact that you can tell none of the crew even likes the commander and look at him up there acting like everyone's in love with him. And Mm. that's the point where he kind of gets depressed and starts yelling at people and goes home to get drunk. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so like that's where Justin Long finally gets a hold of him. And like... I don't know if nerds actually do this because I've I've been to several conventions like a comic book convention, the Comic Con that comes here. I've been several times and it's really fun, but I never go there for like the actual actors because to me, they're not the ones 
creating the story. It's the the writers who write the characters and then they perform them really well and we fall in love with them but I feel like I'm in love with a character that a writer is controlling as opposed to a character that the actor is doing so Justin Long comes in with a very very technical question uh, saying like on such and such episode we see the engine is clearly on this floor but in this episode you say that it's on this other floor so I mean (laughs) where's the confusion here um and Tim Allen is just like it's it's a show it's just a show <laughs> which is in contrast to earlier when he's telling stories about all the times he had fought aliens so you can clearly tell that his right. whole demeanor has shifted after overhearing this conversation <laughs> in the bathroom so <laughs> yeah though the thing that i loved is at this convention there are two just assholes in the bathroom who have paid to be here and are constantly making fun of it. Well, and I think that it wasn't like, you know, you're to your point, the Comic-Con you've been to is just general Comic-Con. This Mm -hmm. was, I think, specifically Galaxy Quest Con. Like, I don't think there was anything else there. insane to me because in the, the reality of this movie, it has been 15 to 20 years after the series went out. They talk about how they only had 99 episodes, uh, which they don't even talk about seasons. They just talk about 99 episodes. They always refer to an episode by its number and not like where it came in the sequence or like what planet they went to in that episode. It seems weird to me that it would be have such a cult following that they could fill this enormous convention hall. Well, it's a movie, Carl. Don't get so technical. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, we have not begun to get technical. <laughs> I am going to go nerd rage on this film. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm, well, I have nitpicks, but honestly, I liked it. I liked this movie a lot. Yes, um, I, I do remember liking it a lot when I was younger and seeing it now. I'm glad that it didn't disappoint me watching it again. So, it's, yeah. So it, why don't we go through characters that we liked? Um, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, there. no, you it's fine. I, cause, cause we know. started on the characters and then never finished them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do you, we just want to go through or in order? Yeah, let's, I think honestly, like I made a list of things that I loved about this film and I couldn't find a single cast member in the main crew that I had a problem with. Like they're all doing stuff that is endearing they're doing things that like make you fall in love with them and they have enough uh depth as characters that it's enjoyable to watch them on screen so let's start with the captain himself tim allen he's commander (laughs) commander excuse me yes captain is the star trek term how dare i uh but The thing I loved about his performance is that um, he is kind of the -the over-the-top TV actor, which is what Tim Allen started as, who started as a comedian and then went to acting, doesn't have a formal acting background. It seems like the character he's playing in this is very much like his own background, where he is there to have a good time, he is there to entertain, Uh, he's not thinking about, like, motivations of characters, he's just selling it to an audience and he's really enjoying it too i think for him it's more of the i'm famous and i like that kind of thing where he's he wanted to be famous and he is so he just basks in his own glory and (laughs) when the audience reacts to him he just makes it even bigger so but the thing i love about his character 
is that he is always making time for fans. Like, the aliens get a hold of him because he thinks they're these fans who have, quote-unquote, hired him to come to their uh, cardboard set to be in their fan fiction of the show. And apparently this is something that he does constantly. Uh, and I don't know if he's getting paid because the the performance he gives when he thinks he's uh, in a fan fiction is not great. I mean, he goes there when he's hungover, <laughs> but the performance is not true to what the captain would be doing, which is fine if you're not getting paid and just need to be a face that is there. The other thing I really like is we can see that he truly loves the show. When he goes home to get drunk, he is drinking, he's flipping through channels, and he finds an episode of Galaxy Quest. Uh, and he stops and he watches it and he starts to remember the lines that he's performed and he's now performing on screen and he talks along with it, much like a fan would uh, watching the series, memorizing these long monologues that uh, the commander is giving in any particular episode. I I read a an article about, you know, they have... It's one of those, two where they have a specific catchphrase that they want you to learn throughout the, the show. Um, and for him, his phrase was, never give up, never surrender. And it they, they showed that the acting in this was great because you hear that line multiple times throughout the movie, but it's always delivered in a different way so that you never get tired mm. of it. The first time he's at the convention on stage and he's so excited about it going out and playing to the crowd. But during this scene, he's at home watching television, but he's depressed after hearing <laughs> how not famous he actually is. And so he's, he says it, but it's more in the, I'm kind of defeated, but I still want to believe this, even though I don't. And so he yeah. says it here, and later on, you'll hear it again, kind of in the, um, when they're in a desperate situation, he's using it to motivate people. And then again, he uses it when, after they win the day, he says it again to kind of say, hey, we did the thing that we were here to do. And... When he is called upon to be a captain or commander or what have you later in the film, uh, he can pull from, you know, trying and pretending to be that for so long and holding on to it and finally, you know, reaffirming his belief in the show where he is. He is a good commander. He's giving, he has a strategy. He is giving commands to his command team who are then going to do their own individual thing to uh, fight the, oh, I don't even know the bad guy race, but the bad guy I, race. I, I don't know either. <laughs> I know uh, Sarah, yeah. that's about it. Yeah, like he is making difficult choices later in the film. And I think that is what I enjoy is that Tim Allen could definitely be uh, a captain in one of these shows based on the performance he gives here. And in fact, uh, for a while, there were talks of uh, a Galaxy Quest TV show that Tim Allen certainly wouldn't be in, uh, but I could see this kind of working, uh, which, I mean, it's based on a series that did work for a long time. But it's a direct contrast from the next character we should talk about, which is Alan Rickman. Uh, who is playing the classically trained Shakespearean actor who is now doing a television show. And really, I don't know if this was his feeling during the show, but obviously now the show has been over for so many years and he is just fed up with it. And he's like, you know, I've done all this classical theater and I'm 
my legacy is going to be this terrible sci-fi show that everybody remembers me for. Right. That's the only thing that people are going to know him for, even though he's done. He's probably worked in the past 15, 20 years, but doing stage work and not getting the recognition or the popularity that this relatively unknown sci-fi series that has a cult following loves him for. Yeah, I guess for him, he sees it as, well, this is just the nerd show and all these people know me, but I want to be known for doing real acting and and being on a stage. And he hates his catchphrase (laughs) uh, until later in the film, which we'll talk about that moment, or we should probably talk about while we're talking about Alan Rickman, which is a big moment because it's the only time in the entire movie. He actually says it. Uh, I think we get it. Yes. Uh, so we see it early in the film, so we know what to look for later. Right. It's a part of the the episode or his intro, mm-hmm. uh, because he is refusing to say it now. But when they introduce him, they play clips from the show, and we hear him say the line. And, and he hears it himself and, and glares it. at the screen because he was oh, refusing God. to say it out loud. And though just the the attitude he gives the fans who try to come up to him and say the line for the millionth <laughs> time, it's just he snaps a photo away from them, signs it quickly, says next. Well, and this kind of goes back to Jason again, Tim Allen. Yeah. Um, but before they go on stage, he's trying to run away because he's so ashamed to be seen in this role. He doesn't want to have to say the line again. And again, to your point about Tim Allen being a good commander and knowing how to motivate his people, Mm. Alan Rickman is ready to run away. He's got his coat on and is halfway out the door and and Tim Allen stops him and he says, well, there's nothing you can say to make me go out there. And all he says is the show must go on. (laughs) And and that convinces him because he is such the classically trained stage player actor that that's Mm -hmm. all it takes for him to actually go out there and do his role so yeah like it or not he is going to perform it the best that he can even though he hates this performance which you and i have been on some stage shows so we know that that is sometimes (sighs) true yes so i love alan rickman in this because he i heard an interview of him talking about this and this role of a guy who used to do Shakespeare and is now doing this cult sci-fi thing, it really hit too close to home for him. And so, like, he had serious qualms about taking on this character where it's too true to life to play this thing. And now, like, Alan Rickman, who, you know, has passed, uh, is going to be known for a fantasy series where people aren't going to know him as Shakespeare. They're going to know him as Professor Snape, a wonderful Professor Snape. (laughs) But don't get me wrong, but like that is kind of his legacy. It goes right back to what you said about all of the actors being in their roles and you couldn't find something, you know, too nitpicky maybe sometimes, but there's not a lot of big things you could find about how they were playing their characters that you could find flaws with it. And same thing as what you said with Tim Allen, where it was just kind of him playing himself almost, where if this is kind of the same thing, and although the actors themselves (laughs) were not too sure about it before the filming started, 
it really plays well on screen because they have experienced it in real life and know exactly how to react. Yeah. Uh, also, Alan Rickman had um, significant, um, I guess, play with his character in determining like what his character looked like. He recommended the prosthetics that he wears in this film, uh, and he wanted to uh, thread the needle in that it had to look believable from Mathurmian's perspective, where this could be an alien race, but at the same time, it had to be look like something that Alan Rickman could apply himself in his own dressing room. So it doesn't require a makeup team to do, or like, say, five hours of prep work to look like this thing. Whereas I think... Um, there are several alien races in the Star Trek things where, like, the, the Ferengi, for instance, that's, <laughs> that's your whole day is getting that costume on. Oh, also, they wanted to, um, they wanted his character to have a sir, uh, like, I, I can't remember his actual character's name, but, so, they wanted his character to be Sir Alexander Dane, and in fact, that is how he is credited in the film. However, none of the lines have a sir on them because Alan Rickman didn't want it. He thought that was too on the nose to uh, to show that he was a classically British-trained actor now turned sci-fi. And he thought, if this guy was knighted for acting, <laughs> uh, he probably wouldn't have taken this. Yes, <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's keep moving through the cast. Uh, let's go to Sigourney Weaver, who is playing a, just a comically bad role out of this series. I think she's supposed to be a communications expert. Um, but nobody knows what her role actually is. She doesn't even know what her role is other than repeating the computer. I, yeah, I feel like, like literally that's it. She's the only one who can interface with this computer system where... It's the only voice that the computer recognizes, and she has to repeat every line because that's what her character does. And I almost want to say, um, again, back to the Star Trek references, it's similar to Troy. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Um, although Troy has an actual role on the ship, but it's basically right. the female officer wearing really tight clothing. <laughs> So, I mean, you're, I guess you're it not could wrong. be Uhura too, but I mean, there are, there's definitely sexism uh, present in the future represented by Star Trek. Nobody's going to argue that, and this definitely plays against yes, that because she points out when she had when she was interviewed about her role, they did six paragraphs about how her boobs fit into her costume. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, when they show the... It starts with watching uh, an episode from the original series where you're seeing them in their heyday with the terrible effects. And Sigourney Weaver's costume, like, it's zipped all the way down. You can clearly see her bra underneath. uh, Which, like, it's just, here's a sexy lady in a sci-fi thing. She doesn't do much, but boy, howdy, is she nice to look at. And she's definitely playing that character, which, yes, Diana Troy was certainly that way in the uh, the Next Generation series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, though, uh, it even later in the film, 
um, they wanted to uh, they wanted to play up more of her sexiness. So one of the things I found looking at notes on this is that this film was supposed to be closer to an R rating. Uh, and they decided later in the shooting that they wanted to probably hit the PG-13 market because it seemed like that could be um, a bigger market for them. And so they took a bunch of stuff out, including uh, a sexy scene that Sigourney Weaver was supposed to be a part of. However, uh, they kept her costume change later in the film, which is why at the end of the film, that's why her shirt is ripped open. Again, she is basically wearing a bra with um, a, if with footy pajamas unzipped <laughs> around it. And I, I had, because I watched through this twice, and the second time I was watching, I was, I was trying to figure out when that happened because I noticed it, that it's all yeah. ripped up, but they didn't. I mean, the only time she's really in a fight scene is when they're down on the planet. And that's the only time I could think of when that would happen. So I'm yeah, not it's sure. A, she's supposed to come on to one of the aliens. It's either the Thermians or she does it as a trick against the bad aliens. But for good reason, they took it out. Yes. Uh, another thing they took out is, um, which is clearly dubbed over in the film, is <laughs> yeah, when, they, yep. when they go to the <laughs> Chompers, uh, which are lovely lovely storytelling in this because they come from the original series where they just wanted something dangerous to appear on the ship and so they've got to go through this mechanism with all of these giant metal plates just running into each other which wouldn't do anything mechanically but they exist on the actual ship because they were in the original series for no reason and that's now we didn't we kind of skipped over that part but the thermians built their ship based on seeing this tv show so everything on the ship operates exactly as it did on the tv show because right. that's how they understand it to work right if you saw something in the original tv show which the thermians believe to be historical documents it will exist on this ship regardless of how ridiculous or how ineffective or how obviously dangerous it is um, and so they've got to travel through these chompers uh, and Sigourney Weaver clearly um, looks over and says, well, fuck that. Uh, but in the um, the dubbed version, I forget what the actual line I is, she but said, screw, well, that. screw that. <laughs> and she points out that this this came from a clearly bad episode during like a writer strike or something. Well, and I mean, I saw it with just watching through here on uh, uh maybe less than legal online version but sure. <laughs> but i you know i wasn't sure i was like well why would they have the edited version on here what happened to the real version i thought maybe it was just a tv edit but yeah no they had to take out the f-bomb because yeah. you couldn't have one in a pg-13 movie so that would be interesting to buy like on dvd and still see that stuff so yeah all right let's keep moving with the although characters. at the same time it almost fits because right. this is making fun of this old TV show, so it almost it almost makes sense that some words would be dubbed out and not match the lip movements. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe that's where they were going for. Maybe that's I why doubt they it. decided but, to leave it in. <laughs> but it's still. <laughs> All right. Who do you want to go to next? Who is next? Fred? Uh, we, yeah, Fred, played by Tony Shalhoub. Sure. Yeah. Because he was so, my favorite. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> he is playing the comic relief 
perfectly in this movie where his comedy is all based on his character. They never quite say it, but he's kind of blazed out of his mind constantly. Like he could just be a super tranquil guy who does meditation every day, mm-hmm. or he could just be smoking off screen constantly and somebody was a guy somebody said that to him once in the film and that's the yeah. only time i heard it referenced and i hadn't even thought about it until he said that but well i think this may be something else they, they cut out of the the original r-rated version where there would have been i don't know more pot references that they didn't want children to see and took out but i love that in the midst of like Terrible things going on. The ship is about to explode. <laughs> he just calls the captain. He's like, hey, captain. Um, yeah, these guys were talking, and it doesn't look good down here. I think, uh, yeah, we can't go this fast is what they're telling me. Yeah, something. Well, uh, yeah, I think I think we're going to, if we do this, we're going to blow up or something. <laughs> yeah, and- so... I don't know. Figured out. <laughs> the the part that I like, though, that when they first arrive on the ship, everyone is, like, chasing down Jason, trying to... And they talk to this girl who turns out to be a hologram or whatever they yeah. project down there. Um, but they're talking to her, and they thought she was just another fan. They're trying to figure out how to get to their gig. And then the hologram disappears, and they start getting this goo, whatever this mm-hmm. stuff is, that they get transported in. And... Tony's in the background at the vending machine looking for some munchies. And then when they're, when they're all getting launched, he's like, anybody have a quarter? And they all arrive on the ship first, and they're just so freaked out. And then the aliens show up looking like octopi. Squidbillies yes. is what I called them. Um, and, but so they're all freaked out and have no idea how to react. Tony shows up a few minutes later for whatever reason. He didn't come at the same time everybody else. And he's like, well... That was a thing. And <laughs> and then he walks over to start talking to Jason, and he's like, hey, what's with them? Like, it doesn't affect him at all that all this crazy stuff is happening. So Yeah, another thing that just doesn't affect him is one of the aliens comes on to him, and he has not seen them in their squidbilly form. He, was, he came late to the party. And so they start kissing, and then she reveals, oh, I've got these tentacles. <laughs> and he's just like... Yeah, whatever, man. Let's do this. Uh, Which I but don't know how that would work, but I, I honestly, I'm not going to try to figure out uh, <laughs> alien anatomy. I will leave that to William Shatner or some other having sex with aliens actor. Anyway, the part that I loved is that um, they get attacked by Ceres. They get uh, their ship takes a lot of damage they fly through a minefield and take even more damage and basically their energy source runs out so they need to go down they need to have an away mission down to a planet to get another uh alien or another alien another energy (laughs) source um and during this very tense away mission where they don't know what is down on the planet they don't know if there's going to be air they don't know if there's going to be hostile aliens He's just eating a snack pack. Yeah, I think he was eating like, popcorn he just or something. Totally zoned out. Just I'm gonna have a snack. You guys do whatever. And then just, when they land, the he just opens the door and Guy, who we haven't talked about yet, but Guy yes. freaks out. You don't this is an alien planet. You don't know if there's air. Is there air? And he just looks out the door and <laughs> <laughs> seems okay to me. <laughs> seems fine. Oh, <laughs> uh, but 
the so something I read about this role is I think, and I I don't know if this is true or just something they originally thought. Like I don't know if this is actually in the movie or something they want it for casting. But I believe uh, this role was supposed to be played by an Asian American. Like they wanted some sort of diversity on the team, much like they had with uh, Sulu or Chekhov in the original series. And that didn't happen to be the case. There's there's an African-American who is the pilot, but that is the only diversity between the crew. Um, but it seemed, from what I was reading, that Tony Shalhoub uh, is, a, uh, is a white actor, or playing a white actor in the film, but his character in Galaxy Quest is supposed to be Asian. Like, there's supposed to be, like, a Charlie Chan he, type yeah, thing. Yeah, his name is... Uh... I forget. Secu- no, not security. He's the tech sergeant yeah. or something, but his name is Fred Kwan, I think. Right. <laughs> so I think the only hint we get at this is when they, they introduce him, it shows like um, something Kwan playing blah, blah, blah. And we get a shot of him. When he's introduced on the show, he squints his eyes and looks out into the distance, which could be interpreted as just like, He's being really pensive and trying to look out in the distance or that his character is trying to play an Asian. Well, and you know what? I did not find that um, or right. whatever it was that you said, wherever you found right. that information. So, but Tony Shalhoub, I know for a fact, has been on Fraser TV show as a Middle Eastern person ah, and had okay. more of that Arabic accent. Gotcha. So that's interesting that he is in all of these roles where he needs to, where he should be having an accent. I guess he doesn't really in this movie. Yeah, but. <laughs> like he plays it straight. Like there's a, so they do well in that. I think they tried to scrub anything out that was originally there. The only hint of it left is just a look that he gives to camera. So that's my only potential problem with this. I don't even know if that's intended, but it's something I found and I wanted to point it out. But let's go on to Sam Rockwell, uh, who is playing random crew member who died in, like, episode 88, was on one show, who died to show how difficult the mission was going to be. Uh, He's a but red still shirt. Shows... <laughs> yeah, he should be wearing a red shirt. Uh, but... Still shows up to the cons, still hosts all these panels, is trying to get his name out there, and tags along with the crew to come on the mission with them. When when he he happened to be there when they found out that there was this gig, in mm-hmm. quotes, and um, when he found out that they were all going, he's like, oh, well, bring me too, because I'm here and I want to be involved for once. And then once he got up there, all he did was complain about how he didn't want to be there because he's the expendable crewman who dies. Well, the thing I love about him is that he is the only fan of the show. All these other people were in the show, but probably never saw a finished product. Whereas Sam Rockwell has to talk with the fans one-on-one. Like, Tim Allen's probably seen it. The rest of the crew, probably not. But, like, Sam Rockwell knows the show in and out so that he can, like, point things out. Uh, Like, he points out the tropes when they get to the planet, like... You don't know what those air. Don't open the airlock. <laughs> or when they're about to uh, make contact to these tiny little creatures, he's like, please, do not do this. They look all cute and cuddly right now. In three seconds, they are going to reveal that they're horrible monsters. And he, Did you never see the show? I was say, he was exactly correct, too. <laughs> yes. Like, 
I love that this universe fits the tropes of these ty- or these sci-fi series, but I also love that we have a character breaking the third wall. It's just like, this is what aliens do! It, and it's great to watch it because it's if you watch sci-fi shows, you know that's what's going to happen because you've seen it a million times. And it's just funny that there's somebody there who will point it out to them to say, hey, we know this is what's going to happen. We know that you know, so we're just going to make fun of it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But yeah, Sam Rockwell is playing somewhat of a minor character in this. But minor? He is, well, under the age of 18? Hmm. All right. Maybe (laughs) I would not say he's lead cast in the film. He's not one of the major three, you, which are Tim Alley, Tim Alley, Tim Allen, Alan Rickman, and Sigourney Weaver. I'm referencing another line that you just oh, kind of blew right over, but it's okay. I'm sorry, I'm looking something up. So, so while they are on the planet looking for their power source, they find these tiny alien creatures, and they talk about them being miners because it's a mining facility. And one of the guys, I think it was Sam Rockwell, said, uh, "I believe it's." Tony, Tony or is it is it somebody said something about oh well yeah they look like they're about three years old and alan rickman turns around all serious miners not miners and it was it was a great Uh, line yeah i'm sorry i walked all over that i was looking up the other guy uh of the crew who i've not seen in anything else he is uh the character's name is tommy weber uh played by daryl mitchell uh, who was kind of the Wesley Crusher of the show. He's the young prodigy uh, who is taking on uh, piloting this very expensive military ship uh, who just happens to be there for reasons. Like, it's never fully explained why this child is piloting this very expensive spaceship. Yes, he's very good at it, but should he be here? I think it was just, again, like you said, it's the Wesley Crusher. They're just making fun of other sci-fi shows sure so i would say like because i've not seen him in anything else i was probably least fond of this guy but he does a a fine job i would say i uh so one of the things they do in this is the thermians based all of the technology based on what was in the show and so they're not sure they don't have the finesse to do all like the piloting or the transportation stuff. And so what they programmed in is it's following the hand movements, the random hand (laughs) movements that these actors did before the effects were added. So whatever they did is how this thing works now. Uh, And so Tommy has to learn how to fly again because he was just kind of making it up before. But I love that the way that they've set it up, it's really easy for him Because all he has to do is pretend to do that motion again, (laughs) and the ship's going to do exactly what he wants it to. Like, whatever thought occurs to him, whatever hand movements is natural for him to do in this, that's the way it works. And that's the best part is when he sits down at the station at the very beginning, they're all introduced to the ship, and they all walk in and take their stations, and they're all really hesitant because they don't know what they're doing there, and they've never been in a real spaceship. And... Tommy leans over to Guy, I think, Mm -hmm. and says, oh, I'd hate to be the commander. No pressure right now trying to launch the ship. And then the commander leans over. Tommy, take us out. And now all the pressure is back on him. So he's... (laughs) Take us out? What do you mean, take us out? 
And then it's great because it's like, you know, they could have just had him kind of get on the controls and be really careful about coming, you mm-hmm. know, starting the ship up and flying out. And he is, but he also scrapes right into the launch pad while they're taking off. And this scene is great in that it gives it room to breathe. This could have been done where they launch the ship and they take part of the station with them. And it just happens in an instant. And that's the joke. But they let this thing breathe in that they slowly, slowly (laughs) go to the left. And like all the characters are kind of tilting their heads in the way that you do to just like, all right, kind of, kind of correct it. Come on. Come on. And it's just like he he kind of gets it. And then like it starts to scrape and you just hear this scraping noise for a good long two minutes before everybody can breathe again. Oh, this scene is great. A lot of the scenes in this movie yes. are great. All right, so, so we went through. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You, know, you mentioned how all the technology on the ship is based on the show and how they use it. Um, which I don't know if you want to skip ahead to them looking for their yeah. power source again, since we've already talked it. about it several times. Yeah. While they're on this planet. Uh, the the little aliens who are cute and cuddly and then turn into evil um, start attacking them. So they run away with their power source and get it on their shuttle. All of them get in except Jason, who gets pulled out and attacked by these little aliens. Which, this scene I don't understand, really, because they said, hey, let's hit him with a rock and eat him. And then the next scene you see him waking up in like a... Sarlacc pit? No, not the Sarlacc. Yeah, what was like the thing Coliseum he fought? Mask. Yes, uh, he's it's a rock monster. A rock lobster? No, a rock monster. <laughs> yes, um, but he has to. You know, they they put him in there to to fight something, and there's this pig lizard licking his face, and so the crew gets a hold of him on his little walkie-talkie thing, and and they're trying to figure out how to get him on the ship, and they want to use the transporter thing that they call a digitizer. Mm-hmm. And at first, he nearly doesn't want to because it means breaking him into a bunch of little particles and then reassembling him somewhere else. So they decide to test it on the pig, which arrives inside out on the spaceship. Which, I will say, they do try to explain in that it's not attuned to the pig's anatomy. It is designed solely for humans. And this is my point. All right. <laughs> because they they say, oh, we, we did it for your anatomy, so we haven't been able to test it before. So it makes uh, sense that the pig would be inside yes, out because it's not human. However, later in yeah. the movie, yeah. he, Fred uses the same transporter to transport a rock monster inside the ship to beat up all the bad guys. So does that mean that the rock monster is part human or something i would say the rock monster is maybe a little harder to turn inside out <laughs> or if you turn each of the rocks inside out on a rock monster turns out you still got a rock monster <laughs> that's true <laughs> so. but in my mind like yes this is cinematic it's a great scene in that a bunch of aliens get beat up by a rock monster and then chased throughout the ship but isn't having a rock monster on board worse than having all these aliens it on board? It is, but they, they solve that by shooting him out the, the... Oh, you mean when he makes an even bigger hole in the side of their ship? Did he this blow it better. up, or did he just get ejected out the airlock? That was he my He got question. ejected, but as he was leaving, he was breaking all the airlocks that were trying to close on him. True. So I don't see how that would help them in any way, but whatever. Well, it the, got the rid umbrage, of all the, the aliens that they would have had to fight, I guess. Is- so the umbrage that I take with this is that 
they have a transporter system. Like, why did they use the weird, like, gooey substance thing? Which, how this works is you stand on a pad, uh, and then a bunch of, like, jello comes up from the floor until it goes over your whole body, and then they shoot you out like a missile into space, <laughs> which is a terrible system, because then you have to travel all of the space between your source and your destination. Like, Tim Allen doesn't comment on this, but, like, his character and his crew have seen things that no <laughs> other human being can or ever will see. He went through a black hole on the way home, I think. Yeah, he got sucked into a black hole. <laughs> Uh, like I yeah I don't know why NASA they had to do to that like, unless maybe the transporter is only works for shorter distances maybe I just think like in this future it's a very inefficient way to travel in that it's not like a warp field where you're going into subspace and then popping out again it's not an instant transmission it's you still have to travel the space <laughs> it's like if you were going to take a bus from here to the moon and yet he was able to do it in a matter of seconds. I know. So, like, does this weird technology break the speed of light? Who's to say? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing I will take umbrage with now is uh, these, so these Thermians, which are, oh, I want to talk about the great alien design. Because so much of, like, alien designs at Poplar Media, especially in Star Trek, it's like, our society has exactly one note. This is how we defer from you because we have these laws and we stick to these laws. And the costumes are also, well, we're bipedal. We have two arms, much like humans, uh, <laughs> in that, <laughs> like, it's just so that they can put actors in them and take less time costuming them to present an alien race. I like that they went to the extent of saying, no, these are space squids. Uh, and then they have this technology that makes them look like human beings. And I also love that, like, their one note is that our society is really naive. We're super scientists, uh, but we always tell the truth because what other alternative is it? We don't have a word for lying in our culture because nobody ever thought to do this. Um, the problem I have with this is they've watched... All of the original series, all of the 99 episodes. And they've based their not, lives around that. According yeah, they to based them. the entire society on this thing and are now living on a ship much in the manner the crew did on the show. I, I, I have not seen all the episodes because they don't exist. <laughs> um, but was there not a single episode where like a character told a lie or there was some sort of strategy that involved deception or some character said something that was specifically not true in the world of the show. Like, in order to trick their enemies into something, yeah, they never exactly. tell a lie. I, like, what I thought was interesting about that is they are obviously this advanced civilization with crazy mm -hmm. technology, the ability to build this ship exactly the way it was on the show. They built the Omega-13 without even knowing mm -hmm. what it is. That's another problem I have, um, go on. <laughs> How come they can't fight off their own enemies? Why do they need to bring in another crew to do the fight for them? 
Yeah, which it turns out they are fully capable of doing because they do it later in the film. Yep. It's just like they never had the nerve or the initiative to be like, oh, I can swing this crutch. This crutch could be a weapon, guys. (laughs) Uh... Like, it just never occurs to them. And then it has to because the bridge crew necessarily needs to leave at one point. And so just like... For the audience to accept that the Thermians are going to be okay. They're just like, no, we got it now. We watched you, and now we watched you in person, and we, we think we figured it out. Which would be great, like, as a sequel to have them, like, meet each other again and see how they had advanced without mm-hmm. the actual humans there. Well, there's a there's a fan theory that definitely the film wasn't trying to do this, but there's a fan theory, so I'm going to tell you about it. Uh, where... So at the end of this movie, the uh, they reboot Galaxy Quest, starring all the same crew. Uh, Sam Rockwell gets a bridge position. I think he's like security expert or something. Um, and, and the alien lady gets added Yeah, the in. alien lady is there. So the fan theory is that this new Galaxy Quest uh, that is on TV is a reality show where the Thermians are coming back. It's, it's taking place on the actual ship with the Thermians in space. Uh, And it's a reality show based on the ship because the Thermians would love it. Um, Like they could save tons on special effects because everything is real. Uh, They could have their monster of the week because they, they could explore space and find new planets and kill real aliens. (laughs) Yes. Or have sex with more aliens. Which they did say that about Jason a couple of times, but it was kind oh, of yeah. like a throwaway line, and then they immediately went to something else. So, Oh, the other thing I want to talk about. Uh, so in addition to having a great cast, great aliens, this film also has a great villain. And a team like this is only as good as the villain that they defeat. And Ceres is a great villain in that... He is a, a clearly a military leader. Um, if you haven't seen the film, think of like Klingons or um, a, like the Borg. No, nah, maybe mm. not the Borg, but definitely Klingons from the original series where they are a warlike society. Uh, your position on the ship is based on how many people you can beat down to get past. And Ceres is at the top. In fact, when uh, Tim <laughs> Allen almost accidentally defeats him at the beginning because he doesn't know what's actually going on. Um, Saris kills his second in command because clearly that guy failed him and his ship should not have gotten as damaged as it did. He's, yeah, he he failed to activate the shields as quickly as I had hoped on our last encounter. <laughs> and then yeah. he has his head on a stick. Mm-hmm. But like... The only way that they get away from this guy is they fly through a freaking minefield and then Ceres has actual strategy. It's just like, don't worry about it. They're damaged. We will wait for our opportunity and then strike. So that when they go down to the planet, when the bridge crew leaves the ship is when they attack and they take the whole ship, probably with no casualties. I thought I had a comment to go along with this, and now I forgot it <laughs> okay. while you were talking. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they also watch a oh, they watch a clip of their first mm. captain, uh, where the, originally a Thermian was in command, but then he encountered Ceres, and Ceres 
tortured him and then sent this tape to the crew so the crew could watch their captain die on screen and give away their secrets. And he's, he's about to do this to another Thermian, which is when uh, Tim Allen finally, like he's trying to get information about the Omega-13 and Tim Allen honestly doesn't know anything about the Omega-13, but Saris thinks that he's lying. So he's going to torture a Thermian in front of Tim Allen and Tim Allen finally breaks down and is like, dude, it's just a show. We were pretending. Uh, and that's how Saris comes to terms with, oh, you aren't a military leader at all. <laughs> it, and it's interesting because, I mean, you would think at this point he would just be like, oh, well, I'm just going to kill everybody then because I don't care anymore and I am obviously in control of the situation. But instead, he just kind of talks to them and he's like, oh, well, you're not a threat to me anymore, so I'm just going to stand here and have a conversation and make you, I'm going to force you to explain to these people what you actually mm -hmm. do. Oh, and his comment on how uh, the the crew of Galaxy Quest has done far more damage to the Thermians than he ever could have because they've been fooling them for years and they gave them this hope and then that hope isn't real. Like, that's just soul-crushing to these people because it's also revealed around this time that these are the last remaining survivors of this race. The, the, the crew of the ship is the entire Thermian people. There is no home for them to go back to. This is it. And so for them to have that amount of faith in this team and then find out this team was lying to them for years without meaning to and now for an entire day totally meaning to, <laughs> that's just like... Oh, that that well because earlier in they had tried to explain that they were actors, right? And they had no concept of this because they don't have TV shows. Because and their explanation of acting was to lie or deceive each other. Yes. And they said, "Well, we don't do that. That's not something that is right. even in they, the vocabulary." And to have and that means that. We, we're learning of this concept from Ceres because he does this. So, But to yes. think you are have anything in common with him, and then they just start laughing about it. And now they find out that basically their heroes are exactly like Ceres, apparently. So Yeah, though Ceres is such a badass that he's just like, all right, I know you're actors. You're not scientists. You pose no threat to me. But the ship has an Omega-13, and I don't know what it is. So I can't let you have it. So I'm going to slowly create a countdown to blow up your ship while I leave and then watch you die. Because I know you're actors and you won't be able to stop this. <laughs> like, that's his plan. And honestly, that's an evil freaking plan. <laughs> but it just... It, the writing of this villain is great in that, like, there are actual stakes here and he's making actual evil moves against people. And honestly, like, he From ordered two people to go and kill the bridge crew, which they deal with by pretending to have a fight, uh, <laughs> even though they should know what deception is. They should. But, <laughs> but I think that is even in character in that I think Saris just assigned the lowest level people on his team. Like he didn't take care of it personally because it was beneath him. 
Yeah, and I I actually kind of like that scene just because it's kind of Tim Allen is the one. Oh, you're acting like you did on this episode because blah blah blah. And that's his hint to Lazarus. Uh, uh-huh. What's his name? And I don't know his actual name. Yeah, Lazarus is fine. But Alexander he's, it's Dane, his I hint think. to him that hey, let's act out this scene where we had a fight on and then whatever. And so then they started having a fight on stage. And then afterwards, it's, I can't believe you said that to me. You used <laughs> to pull your punches. And was, so, like, they were acting out a fight, but actually fighting at the same time. So it Yeah, was, which is, uh, so something behind the scenes that I became aware of is that initially, uh, Tim Allen and Alan Rickman did not get along. Uh, partially because of the act or partially because of the fight that was scripted for them where they came from different backgrounds. Alan Rickman kind of thought that this was a little beneath him. Also, I think Tim Allen may have actually shown up late to work um, (laughs) on more than one occasion, but over the course of filming, they became stronger friends. So like the fight we're seeing on screen is kind of a fight that happened uh, behind the scenes as well. well and I have heard that the, there are many people that didn't like working with Tim Allen, not necessarily just this movie, but in general. Right. So so now this is when Sarah's left them alone, right? Are we going to talk sure, about this? Sure, yeah, if you want to pick up that. I don't know if you had something in mind, but... I, I was going to move on, but let, oh, let's Oh, well, go I thought we that. wanted to talk about Nerd Kid for a while. Ah, Justin Long. Okay, <laughs> I did forget about him. So, Justin Long is brilliant at playing this role. It's the same role he played in Dodgeball. It's kind of the same role he played in Accepted, where he's just this really nerdy kid with a squeaky voice who's really into this one thing that society doesn't care about. And he's, it's not even that he's just general sci-fi nerd. It's all no, no. about Galaxy Quest because when they show his bedroom, like every poster on the wall is Galaxy Quest and he's building a model of the ship and he knows how the parts of the ship work and his other friends know all of the la- like the different decks of the ship and where yeah, all the rooms they are. Have, they have built a blueprint of the ship in a 3D model so they are able to walk the captain and Sigourney Weaver through the ship uh, so that they can get to the reactor to shut it down. Uh, and to the extent that, like, one kid is watching the episode with the chompers and is able to time out, like, okay, you need to go now and then now and then now so they don't get crushed by this giant mechanical mus- Which monstrosity. Which is funny because when he's watching that episode, they're obviously moving much slower than the ones are moving <laughs> in real life. So I'm not sure how he was able to walk him through there. But then this is at the point where they set the the reactor to explode so the ship will blow up. And they're trying to stop that from happening. Once they get down to the heart of the reactor or wherever they are, and, and, and nerd kid Justin just says, oh, well, all you have to do is push the blue button. And he's Jason's like, that's all? It seems like it should be so much more complicated. And so they push the button, and then the timer keeps counting down. 
and they they it, they're like you know they're they're trying to get Justin to help. Well, it turns out his mom had made him take the trash out, so he wasn't able to talk to them. And so they're in there about to die, and they're giving away their life secrets or whatever, and talking about uh, how they love each other. Right. And then this the clock stops all on its own at one second, and Jason's like, "Oh yeah, it always stops at one second on the show." <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, again, everything in the ship is designed exactly based off of the show. So it's it's weird to me in that, like, I don't know if the reactor would have even gone off or whether it just would have stopped it one second. Like, there could have been absolutely no danger here whatsoever. <laughs> but then there'd be no point for all the exciting going through the chompers. <sighs> I don't know. And then seeing the Omega-13, which you brought up before, but I want to reiterate, this Omega-13 is the strongest weapon in the universe, capable of rearranging the universe to send you backward in time 10 seconds. 13 seconds. 13 (laughs) seconds, because it's an Omega-13, of course it is. Uh, But, like, the Thermians don't know what it is. The show never shows what it looks like, yet they are able to build it. Yeah. Well, they, like, they did, did they just scour no. the universe until they found something called an Omega 13? I, I thought that they were saying at the very beginning that they saw that episode that was like, the end of the episode was the cliffhanger was activate the Omega 13 and then there was supposed to be another lost episode or something. So maybe they ah. had seen that episode. Maybe that they we saw the lost that episode. We shown. But wait, then Tim Allen would know what it does. So, like, the episode could have been scripted, but the actors didn't act it out. Otherwise, they would know what this thing does. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that nobody knows what it is or what it does, but somehow it exists in this world that was created based on the TV show. Right, and that it's super-duper powerful. But, of course, they use it in the end, because Mm -hmm. it's Chekhov's Omega-13, which is... A fun play reference and a Star Trek reference. It's a double whammy. Uh, But I... Oh, another great thing that Saris does at the very end. His ship is blowing up because uh, in a brilliant maneuver (laughs) that gives credit to the film for its writing is uh, the the kid has learned... Tommy, Tommy Weber has learned how to fly. And he flies through the minefield they crashed through before, and he gets as close to these magnetic mines as he can, and they charge towards Ceres with all the power on their shields. Now, before we get into what happens, this is where Ceres gives uh, my definition of a Star Trek analogy, (laughs) where Star Trek is littered with these things, where they're trying to explain a very technical uh, scientific concept to a large audience and so they will give it in gobbledygook science speak <laughs> and then they will follow it up with a, a a simple analogy oh it's just like popping a balloon which no it's not like that but if you want to imagine it like that sure go for it uh and sarah says to them you don't understand as soon as we get through that shield, as soon as we break down your shields and blast them with smithereens, we are going to cut through you like tissue paper. So my point, why does Saris know what tissue paper yeah, is? Yeah, I wondered about that. <laughs> Actually. Like, this seems almost like a Star Trek-esque mistake where his, 
His society wouldn't manufacture that. He's not been with the humans long enough to discuss the the minor care for a nose. Uh, but whatever. Uh, and Tim Allen responds with one of my favorite lines is, you fail to realize our ship is towing mines behind it. <laughs> or something to that effect. And then... They pull up and all the mines slam into the ship and the explosion is great. But Ceres, Maxter tactician that he is, beams aboard with one of their um, matter transducers or their... (laughs) Whatever they are. Yeah, the thing that allows them to turn into other people. And he turns into Fred and he comes on board and he just shoots everyone. (laughs) Like, clearly showing... No, this guy is a murderer. <laughs> you have just poked the bear multiple times. This is your comeuppance. But it gives a chance for the Mega 13, which takes him back 13 seconds. And Tim Allen is able to hold him to the ground, punch him in the face. Then he gets knocked out by a crush. So my question about that is, yeah, they go backwards in time 13 seconds. Yes. Everyone there is just acting exactly the way they had, except for Tim Allen, who realizes that something is going to happen. Why does he know that time is different? <laughs> is it just because he's the one that pushed the button? I that That's the only explanation I can give you. Yes. <laughs> so it rearranged all the matter, and he was able to keep the memories because reasons. And that's how <laughs> this thing works. Oh, well, good. Such an explanation. Well, the film didn't give it one. I'm not going to pretend to give it one with some science bullshit. Uh. But, yeah. Uh, but I love that it showed how dangerous Ceres could be and then immediately took away the actual stakes. Like, this is what this guy could definitely, definitely do to you. Please do not piss him off. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, you're not actually dead. You've taken care of the situation. Which they finally take care of him because he he wakes up when they get to the con uh, and Tim Allen does not set his phasers for stun and <laughs> shoots him and he explodes. Yeah. And the fans go wild for this. Everybody loves killing and exploding yeah, people. Yeah, murder! <laughs> uh, this is the point where, where rolling actually does help him, apparently. Oh, that's true. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, All right. So uh, I have only a few notes more. Uh, One has to do with um, at the very end of the film, they are headed back to Earth. And instead of teleporting in or instead of shooting them out of like uh, gel missiles, uh, they decide we're going to detach the bridge and you could just fly the bridge home. Does this ship not work without a bridge? They must have had a secondary because they were all sta- after they had detached. The, all the Thermians were standing somewhere, right. controlling the Like, why not the just the? Why not just give them a shuttle to go I, there? I, I, why detach the bridge? But I also love when this bridge comes down. They're going a bit too fast, uh, and they they crash hard in that convention center. Like they don't. They don't slowly come up and gently land. Like, they are running through the parking lot, throwing cars around like they're toys, and then they are smashing into the side of this convention center. Like, 
I am surprised that nobody got murdered, mm-hmm. given this convention center was full at the time. And I will tell you that in the R-rated version of this film, the one they originally planned, somebody was supposed to be decapitated here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like so that like, would make more sense. I just... Uh, what what I found interesting is so this is like everybody was thought it was part of the show and they got all right. excited about it and no. out comes the crew and yay look at these special effects well when the convention's over there's a spaceship right? stuck in the side of your building so <laughs> yeah also you have a giant hole also you have a giant gash in your parking lot also I would say upwards of uh 200 people who came here today their cars are now ruined so I feel like Somewhere in there, someone would have realized, hey, this wasn't just part of the show. Right. Like, and clearly the production company that has the rights to Galaxy Quest that reboots the series wouldn't want to take on this legal problem that these (laughs) actors apparently created for them by crashing a giant freaking spaceship into the side of a building. So, like, if anything, if Galaxy Quest was rebooted in this universe, they would definitely recast it. Because (laughs) there are legal issues surrounding the initial cast. Anyway, the only other note I have is a a throwaway line. The other nitpick uh, was that when they're on the planet, uh, Tim Tim Allen is rolling around. uh, And uh, Sigourney Weaver makes a comment that, does the rolling help? Uh, and later makes a comment that uh, something about him wearing a costume instead of a uniform. How, like, remember that you're, this is not an actual uniform. You are not an actual captain. I, did but she, I thought it was Alan Rickman said that. Because he was asking why anybody was following this guy. Because he's not really a commander. Something like that. But Right. But they make a, they specifically call out his costume. But Tim Allen is the only one actually wearing a uniform. When he went to the ship the second time, he was not in costume. He had to get clothes from the ship. Everyone else is coming in what is basically pajamas (laughs) from the original series, where Tim Allen has an actual, like, army uniform on that looks the exact same, because of course it does. (laughs) But it's got to be made of some sturdier material than the original costume. Well, plus the fact that when he went to the rock planet, all his clothes got ripped off. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Yes, that is true. But yeah, I, anyway. I liked that when he's rolling around, does the rolling help? And he says, yes, yes, it does. And she says, <laughs> oh, where's your gun? And he looks around. He's like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess we, the other thing we should close the loop on here is we mentioned before the one time that Alan Rickman delivers the character's yeah, line. Yeah, we kind of skipped over that. <laughs> because he, uh, on board the ship, there is one Thermian who is kind of attached to him because he has based his life over uh, Dr. Lazarus' life, who has, like, a Vulcan Klingon code that he lives by. Um, and so this this one guy has studied it, and he's basing his entire life philosophy across it. And, like, they... They team up at one point to save the remaining Thermians. And, like, they are doing a traditional chant that was made up for the show to garner strength to open this airlock. Uh, And 
Uh, they they are finally able to do it. Alan Rickman, of course, does not get the recognition he deserves. <laughs> uh, Commander Taggart has saved us. <laughs> and this very nice boy that has helped him along the way looks down at the bullet wound on his chest and just has a line that's just, I'm, I am shot. And he falls to the ground. And the last thing that he hears is Alan Rickman finally swallowing his pride and for his greatest fan given one final line reading of by Grabthar's hammer by the sons of Warvan you shall be avenged uh, and then he goes then he doesn't have a plan and luckily the <laughs> other guy's gun jams and he just basically tackles him yeah but this is the part two where you've the the Thermians should finally be able to see that these are actors because yeah. his headpiece gets all ripped to shreds and you can see his hair pick, sticking out. Maybe that's just how an alien anatomy does, Mark. I guess. They've never met whatever species this is before. <laughs> so, but I that was like the big... I mean, the part earlier where they find out that they've been lying all along is kind of the emotional whatever, but this part is when it kind of hits like, oh, somebody finally died, this is a big yeah. deal, and now this guy who has been resisting this role the whole time and hates everything about it is suddenly embracing it because this guy who was in love with him is now gone. <laughs> so Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure I'll get into this more of the potato scale, but... There's a lot of moments like that in the film where each character coming to terms, um, uh, coming to terms with getting back into character, more or less, because they haven't played these characters for 15 years. They're very tired of them now. Uh, however, now it's real and there are real stakes and they need to put on a brave face. And so they've got to put back on this character and really buy into it. And so Tim Allen has this, Alan Rickman has this, uh, Tommy Weber has this, uh, and Sigourney Weaver has this. One of my favorite <laughs> lines is, she is the only one who can interface with the computer. She's the only one who can ask questions. And everyone can hear the computer's response, and yet she insists on repeating it word for word. At one point, Tommy Weber is like, you know, that is getting really annoying. And she responds... I have one job on this ship. It is stupid, but I'm going to do it. Well, and it's even the the when earlier, like it's when they're getting shot at, I think, by Saris, and the computer says something and she repeats it. And somebody said that too. We heard it the first time, and she goes, yeah. "Oh no, I'm actually doing it." Like I'm she she just it. did I'm it on a reflex computer. and didn't even know that it was happening. Oh, which is funny, because, like, in the original Star Trek, like, that voice doesn't actually play. Uh, like, they always dub it in later of the computer's voice, and they just have responded to it by then. Uh, so it's weird that that auditory response would trigger it. Anyway, I'm out of notes. Are you out of notes? I, you know this, I never had notes to begin with. <laughs> uh, All my notes are in my head. Great. All right. Well, on that note, let's go into games. Our first game is the pitch game, where we take 
two or more properties and shove them together in the form it's this meets this to make this movie. So I'm going to start us off by telling you what movies we uh, smashed together to make Galaxy Quest. So, in a reference that should be very obvious, and... A movie that is a commentary on the genre it is about, with characters commenting on the tropes and overall reminding us why we love these movies, this is Star Trek The Original Series meets Last Action Hero. Ah, that's a good one. It is. I No, I spent, like, I told you this before we started recording the games... This was one of the hardest ones for me to come up with games for, for some reason. I spent so long trying to think of movies that were about actors in a movie, and I couldn't... I was like, I know I've seen something, but I couldn't remember mm-hmm. what it was, and that was the one, so... Ah, uh, I beat you too. But I don't have it written down, because I forgot it until you just said it, so... <laughs> All right, so my first one... Because it's a group of unsuspecting humans kidnapped by an advanced alien so they can use their specialized skills to defeat an evil being who happens to be an alien. Hmm. Meeting Tim Allen playing an egocentric has-been who learns to respect and work with his team to help defeat evil. And they also have a device named using the Greek alphabet. All right. It is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers meets (laughs) Zoom. Zoom? Oh, God. Was that... They oh. used Gamma 13 to... Gamma 13. <laughs> which was also a 13, just like the Omega 13. <laughs> but they used Gamma 13 on people with special abilities to enhance their abilities. Oh, you and know... Tim Allen was a super... Uh, he had super speed. And he was training a team of kids to help defeat okay. his brother or something. Yeah, all right. All right, this wasn't the movie that I thought it was when you said Zoom, but <laughs> it, I've definitely seen this before. It's clearly one of those movies that's that terrible. just like, um, we we have 3D technology and this is a 3D movie. It, yes, and they threw in some big name actors and actresses who did not do their best work. I, I, <laughs> I said to you earlier before we started that I had watched another Tim Allen movie because uh, I was going to use it in the it? pitch. And Did you watch this movie? this movie? And no. it threw me off because when I was trying to work on games, I kept thinking of things for that movie instead of Galaxy right. Quest. <laughs> and I was <laughs> confusing myself. But oh, it's definitely feel... uh, not the best work of most of the people involved. So, <laughs> Well, of course not. The movie looked like garbage. Oh, I never saw it. Anyway, uh, my next one. A take on the classic Star Trek series that leans heavily on the tropes but misses the humanity and morality questions that were the heart and soul of the original series, and a movie where a member of society under attack seeks out and finds a group of warriors to lead them to victory. The warriors, however, turn out to be performers and try to flee several times but eventually give in and help them... Uh, help them succeed. Also, is. the villain looks like a bug. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams version, meets A Bug's Life. Good. 
I see. I don't know where my brain was this week because that was another. I was just trying to think of things where it was actors or people who were not supposed to be warriors but got put into that role, and I could not think of anything. So, well, honestly, the the trigger for me that made me think of Bugs Life was Saris. I saw Saris is just like he looks a bit like Hopper. I wonder if I can make this work. <laughs> Does Hopper have an eye patch? I'd eat, look, that that well, would have helped. The villain design looked like a grasshopper. Yeah. To me. yeah. Well, and we didn't even talk about his costume, which was amazing. Oh, How it yeah. like moved with him when he breathed oh. and stuff. All right, that'll come up in my reviews. Well, okay. Then, so that we can touch on it. All right. So for my next one, a a group of misfits pretending to be something that they aren't, and through adversity they learn to trust each other and win the spectators' hearts, even after being caught in their deception. Eventually the hero wins the day, but shares the glory with his crew. And the other one has one member known for his exploits with women of the crew, but unwilling to work with others. A crew who is unfamiliar with their ship, battling an enemy bent on revenge. One crew member getting stranded on an alien planet, but makes it back to the ship with new respect for crew members he previously loathed. It is a knight's tale meets J.J. Oh. Abrams' Star Trek. <laughs> so, <laughs> for different reasons, oh. we had the same movie. Yeah, knight's tale is pretty good. Yeah, I, the only reason J.J. Abrams came up for me is that I needed to critique it in the same way I critique this. Anyway, my final one. Uh, since this is a space movie with armies of dangerous aliens, questionable flying techniques, and mixing dangerous situations with sexy times, uh, a movie where Tim Allen is given the chance to lead a race of innocent creatures who then tries to convince his friends that uh, this whole situation is real, but gets laughed away, and ultimately he leads the team to success. This is Starship Troopers meets the Santa Claus. Oh. Yeah. I, oh, I should have put a bit in there about weird technology. I thought you were going to go with Toy Story 2 on that last one. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Because he's also a spaceman. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that was my. I don't have any more of those. All right. Well, let's go on to our second game then, which is alternate tagline, um, a phrase that you would see on the movie poster for this film that encapsulates the heart and soul of it, though possibly misses the point. So, giving the theme of the movie. So, I'm again gonna start off with mine. It is simply Galaxy Quest. Fanboys to the rescue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, I have Galaxy Quest. When military leaders fail, hire an actor. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, my last one here, uh, Galaxy Quest. They're not the galaxy's greatest heroes, but they do play them on TV. That's a good one. I mean, that should have been like the real one. Uh, Galaxy Quest, a Star Trek remake for the satirically minded. <laughs> Pretty good. Let me see if I can find the actual Galaxy Quest taglines. Um... All right. Oh, well, 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 you called it. Uh, so often uh, what Mark does to uh -oh. generate his taglines. I didn't even is, read the real about. ones. Yeah, which I know. No, so often what Mark does, which he didn't do here, but he told me uh, off mic, is that he will just use a line from the film, which is exactly what the actual taglines were. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> uh, another one they have here, the show has been canceled, but the adventure is just beginning. 
a comedy of galactic proportions. Oh, and the worst one. These actors, long pause, are now in outer space. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. Anywho, let's go on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game, a description of the plot of the film you would see in a TV Guide or Netflix description uh, that is true, but also kind of misses the point. So I am again going to start us off here. My first one, desperate for the fame they had 20 years ago, a group of washed up actors fool a group of innocent scientists, murder a military battalion, destroy the property and likely the lives of their greatest supporters and somehow still manage to secure a reboot. (sighs) You know what I, I noticed? And this has nothing to do with mine, but we haven't had any puns in our games for a long time. Yeah, gosh, I wonder why that is. It's almost <laughs> as if puns are bad and people hate listening to them. Uh, we, we need to do something about that. <laughs> yes, one of us definitely does because the other one of us never will. <laughs> well, I don't have one on mine, so. All right. <clears throat> A cunning and deceitful alien race known as Thermians maintain their innocent, peaceful image by kidnapping warriors from another planet to fight their battles for them. Hmm, yeah, pretty good. All right, my last one here. A convention is ruined when all of the stars of an old TV show mysteriously go missing and then crash their vehicle into the convention hall when it is completely full of people. Mm-hmm. And somehow it didn't manage to kill any of them. There's no way that this convention was profitable. <laughs> there is zero chance. Zero chance. <laughs> Which All righty. The stars going missing and then showing up at the last second makes me think of cars. Too bad I didn't put this into <laughs> it, my actual pitch games. Oh, it definitely <laughs> doesn't make me think of cars because I've barely seen cars. Oh, it's, I saw the first one. The rest just didn't interest me. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Anywho, let's go on to our reviews, starting, of course, with our infamous potato scale, where we will tell you the emotions that you will go through watching this film in terms of our relationship to potatoes. So, Mark, if you've got yours prepared, why don't you go ahead while I pull up the list that I definitely should have pulled up earlier? <sighs> I have mine prepared. Oh, my. Um, I actually wrote them down, even. What? Was that purposely trying to be Sulu? Oh, my. Oh, no. I can do a pretty good Sulu, but that was not me trying to do that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I, as we mentioned earlier, there are several points in the film that each character has their own time to shine, basically. Um, but it it is that feeling of... You're excited because we won the day and we're able to win despite these terrible odds because we're just actors and not actual fighters. So I did have a gold potato in here. Um, I also said steak and shake fries because I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I don't know that it's on the same level with some other ones that I really like. Otherwise, it might have been Five Guys fries. Mm-hmm. But it's it's good for that when you need a comedy to watch but also want (laughs) sci-fi so it's 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 up there high on my list but probably not in the very top spot so it's going to be a golden steak and shake i guess Ooh, fancy all right well mine are not gonna be that complicated i don't think because uh 
So I really enjoyed the movie. My, uh, and we kind of all have our different rulings for what categories go with what. When my ruling for Five Guys has always been does it hit on every emotional note that it tries to do? With a lot of films, that is not the case. The film requires us to feel something for a character, and possibly that character has not yet earned that feeling, and so it feels like a false emotion that it's trying to bring up in me. This film does an excellent job of humanizing its characters and giving them truly emotional, uh, giving them truly emotional stakes to deal with. Um, it's not heavy-handed. It switches between comedy and tragedy almost sometimes in the same scene. And yet that transition always works. And like there's not a single moment where the film was trying to make me feel something that I wasn't feeling at the time. So I totally get the golden potatoes. But for me, for my money, this is a Five Guys fries. So as far as emotions goes, this will make you feel all the things that it meant you feel. So... I guess that doesn't inform you what emotions you will feel. All the feels. Just that you'll feel the good ones. The good ones that it makes you do. Yes. <laughs> good good but no. description. Uh, there's, there's funny moments. There are honestly sad moments. There are moments that are humanizing these characters uh, that'll make you feel for them in that they're going through a rough time. It's been 20 years since they were relevant uh, it's been 20 years since they had a well-paying gig and they're still stuck doing this crap and can't really progress with their lives. And yet, uh, and the story of the film is them rebooting that franchise and becoming relevant again. And so that journey for each of these characters is a bit different for each of them, but the overarching one is the same and you feel great for them by the end of the film. So Five Guys Fries from me. Anywho, let's go on to our second review scale, which is a 0 to 10 scale, telling our listeners, should they go back and watch this film? So, Mark, I'm going to start off by uh, getting to the thing we mentioned a bit earlier, talking about the effects yeah. of this film. Because I'll let you talk about Saris. For me, the effects were more important on, like, the ship and the alien design. And the brilliant thing that this does is... It starts off with terrible effects. <laughs> Clearly, like, early 1990s effects or, like, late 80s for a space show where everything's kind of fuzzy. You can tell the sets are kind of made out of cardboard. Nothing seems quite solid. Yeah. Uh, it's clearly held up by strings that they tried to edit out. <laughs> and, like, that's horrible effects. But the movie starts there, meaning every other effect that you see in the film is compared back to this. And every other visual effect they have in a film is miles and miles above of those early 90s effects. And so they seem great. Like, and as far as, like, the rock monster goes or the little minor aliens go, I really like them like the rock monster maybe looks overly smooth i think they could add more textures if they remade this today but maybe that's what a rock monster looks like i don't know i've never seen one uh and so like they get away with stuff that uh space movies are allowed to get away with where we don't know what aliens look like but this is an imagined version of an alien and they seem real enough uh and so like i love the effects of this 
Uh, we've talked about the story. We've talked about the characters. There's not a bad character in this film. Uh, let's see. Uh, the story is an emulation of like the best Star Trek missions. Uh, the reveals that they have when they reveal the bridge or like they show the ship for the first time, those reveals are great. And it brings out my love of these Star Trek movies because they have these moments where you see the immensity or you see the ship and the ship is what they are all fighting for. It is their home. And like that brings out emotion in me in a way because I'm a nerd, but it's <laughs> done really well in this and not in a cynical way, even in a spoof movie, it's done genuinely. And that's what this film and a few other films get well about spoofs is you can point out the tropes, but you also have to have genuine emotions. Uh, and this film does it very well. I can't think of another film that does this better. Uh, and so should you go watch this film? Of course you can. I'm going to give it a 10. Not a 12. <laughs> uh, no, it's not quite a princess bride for me, but on our scale, it's just, should you go back and watch it? Yes. Yeah, you should go see this. So I, I agree with you uh, about all of that. Although I, I do want to ask how you felt about the pig lizard. Um, you know, honestly, it was fine. It wasn't probably it. This, it looked, this was I another mean, it was, part. It was completely animatronic. Uh, wait, uh, I don't know. I think it was. I I think it was a model. It it just it reminds me of again why I picked the Power Rangers as one of the pitch ones because oh, of their sure. crazy enemy costumes every time. So. Um, that I, that fair. one the, was a the little pig was maybe let it down, but then it died and got turned inside it, which, out so and exploded everywhere, which was yeah. great because the alien just stands there and repeats what's happening with no emotion while everyone else is ducking for cover. Mm -hmm. um, but we were talking about Saris's outfit, which I mean, it's like biomechanical armor or something like when he breathes, his yeah. shoulder pads would move up and down with it. Um, and then when he got really angry, he had these like wing things, fingers on his back that would open up. And then suddenly he has this really imposing thing hanging over his head, but then they fold back up again when he would calm down and just walk around and talk. So it, I just thought that costume on its own, first of all, you have to have all the makeup and the lizard face or whatever mm -hmm. whatever race he was that's on there but then to have an actual like suit of armor over the top of that that moves on its own is yeah. pretty spectacular just to have yeah. <laughs> on i mean while we're talking about this i'm not going to derail us but uh contrasted to some of the um lower tier enemies like the ones that they trick into going to the airlock instead of them going to the airlock their costumes aren't as good but like the people that are given screen time have wonderful costumes and effects yeah and i mean even even the humans i mean it's basically a jumpsuit on each of them so it's not anything incredibly fancy so this kind of really stands out against those but they did have their the humans still had good costumes that fit the theme of the ship and i guess it was actually their costumes from the tv show so that makes sense but <laughs> um and coming back into our number scale, I would agree with you at a 10 out of 10 for 
making Whoa. sure that you have to watch it. I, I, you know, I usually judge this based on is it worth seeing it again if you haven't, if you have seen it before? Is it worth watching it if you have never seen it? And for both of those, I would say yes. So I would give it a 10 out of 10. Definitely you should see it if you have not. It's definitely worth seeing it and seeing where some of these actors have come from that maybe this was the first time they had a movie. Uh, for Justin Long and uh, Rain Wilson, it definitely is. Yes. This is their first feature debut. So you can see where they came from and some of their earlier work, but also some of the more experienced people that are well-known uh, and see how they handle a comedy <laughs> spoof. So, Well, we may have to actually get Sarah's number review because this is weird in that we have both given it a 10. And have, right that's now, never happened before? Uh, multiple people have given a 10. There's not a single movie that we all gave a 10. Uh, and so right now, the average for this movie is a 10. So it's going to the top of our list. Woo. So maybe Sarah, <laughs> maybe it will stay there. Maybe Sarah could bring it down with some other top picks. But yeah, currently this is the top of our scale. Anywho. Uh, so that is going to bring us to what Sarah normally does, which is to inform you where you can find us online if you choose to do so. So we have two places on Facebook, uh, that you can check us out. The one where we will be posting stuff and you can follow us, uh, is Retrograding Podcast. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with each other, the group that we have is Retrograding Party Line. Uh, you can find our episodes online uh, either by getting in the RSS feed or going to retrograding.fireside.fm. Our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or know more. And that is going to bring us to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. So, guys, let me turn my chair around. Let me put on this backwards baseball cap. I learned something today. Something that was pointed out in this film, something that I've been worried about for a lot of my life, because I, I do go on binges into fandoms and get really, really deep inside the lore uh, and just genuinely enjoy watching really nerdy stuff a lot. Uh, but the lesson I took from this is never give up, never surrender your fandoms, because it may come in use one day. You may have to explain to an idiot how to navigate through a ship. But that is going to close out our show. Uh, we will catch you guys next time. 